Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. In this audio, I'm going to cover Philippians 4, verses 10 through 23, and we'll finish up the chapter and the book of Philippians. Our context is this. In the first nine verses of Philippians, Paul has told the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord again, always. Again, I say rejoice. And then he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So he's talking about, and then he talks about the peace of Christ will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verses that are often quoted, they are basically moral and spiritual exhortations to the Philippians. And now we go to this last section of Philippians chapter 4 in which Paul talks about God's provision, financial provision mainly. He's going to thank the Philippians for sending him money, but boy, he does it in a way that's so gracious and so elegant and so instructive for us. So we start in verses 10, verses, verse 10, and we go through 11, 12, and 13, Philippians 4. Paul says this, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He starts in verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Rejoice eight times in Philippians in the ESV translation. Eight times Paul uses that word rejoice. Remember, he's in jail now, thinking that he might be poured out as a drink offering, might be executed, but he's talking about he's rejoicing in the Lord. He mentions the word joy five times. So the book of Philippians is just suffused with joy everywhere. He says, I rejoiced how? By pumping himself up with self-help speeches? No, he rejoiced in the Lord. And whenever you hear it, see in the Lord, you can just translate that as in union with the Lord. I rejoiced in union with the Lord. He's so tight with the Lord. He's interlocked with the Lord. There's no space between him and the Lord. He's united with the Lord. Everything is done with reference to Christ, as John Gill says. I have thought to myself it would be a quite an interesting study to do a search on in the Lord and see how many times do the scripture writers use this phrase. I haven't done it yet, but I think it's a key. You don't do anything in this world unless you're in union with Christ, as in the parable of the branches have to be in union with the vine. Paul says, at last you have revived your concern for me. He's talking about giving him money. Paphroditus is sending money from Philippi, and he says, at last you have revived your concern for me. Paul sounds like he's complaining a little bit. It took it a while to get here. He was evidently expecting a gift from the Philippians, and some, for some reason the Philippians' gift to Paul was delayed. But, of course, Paul's not complaining about it. It could have been Epaphroditus got sick and didn't show up in time, That's or show up as soon as Paul thought he might. That's Jameson Fawcett and Brown's idea. There might have been other unknown delays, but Paul's not criticizing him. He's just saying that it took a while to get here, but thank you, guys. It's here now. He says, you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Well, concern before, we're going to talk later The Philippians about how the Philippians gave Paul money when Paul was in Thessalonica in Macedonia, when he was in Corinth in Greece, and now he's getting ready to take money in Rome. So the Philippians were very faithful in providing him with financial support. So he says, at last you have revived your concern for me by giving me money in Rome. Indeed, you were concerned before because you gave me money at Thessalonica and Corinth, but you lacked opportunity. Now, what does it mean, lacked opportunity? Does it mean they didn't have the money, or does it mean they didn't have a messenger to bring the money? 
I suspect it's they didn't have the messenger. Note how gracious Paul is here. I know you wanted to give me, just things came up. You didn't have the opportunity to give it, but I know you wanted to wanted to give me money. Paul's a gracious guy. And he thanked the Philippians for giving him money. And this is something that I tell you, I have run across. You give money to people and they don't ever thank you. I know it's happened to me several times and I think, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? Do they think this is this is a stimulus check from the government? You need to thank people who give you money. I mean, when somebody gives me money, I get eaten up with the desire to get to my keyboard to send them a thank you note. And I think we should all be that way. Paul says in verse 11, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Notice that Paul had to learn. Even the Apostle Paul had to be taken through circumstances for training. He didn't learn that secret through revelation. He learned it through experience. What did he learn? To be content in whatever circumstances he was, which means sometimes he was rich and sometimes he was poor. Sometimes he was supplied and sometimes he was lacking in supply. Now this, of course, completely contradicts the faith message, which says that if you're poor, you're somehow sinning and not trusting God, you don't have enough faith. Paul says, no, you have faith even though you don't have the money that you need right at the moment. It'll come later when you know, you'll get whatever you need. God supplies every need. But it doesn't mean you're always going to have the money in the bank account. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am, Paul says. He mentions contentment in other scriptures, as, as, does, as do other scripture writers. Paul wrote to, first, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. That great gain there, I think, is referring to financial gain. When accompanied by contentment, but if you're all the time thinking about how much money you're going to make and how much money you need, you ain't going to be content. First Timothy 6, 8, two verses later, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. That's why I think it's talking about money, because the context is, is physical things, food and covering, food and shelter. With these, we shall be content. That's all you need. you got to have food every day, and you got to have something to keep you out of the rain. You don't have to have a Lamborghini or a Rolex watch. Hebrews 13.5, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's why you can be content without having a big stash of cash. It's because Jesus is never going to desert you, desert you when you're out of money. Jeremiah 45.5, but you, are you seeking great things for yourself? Do not seek them, for behold, I'm going to bring disaster on all flesh, declares the Lord but I will give your life to you as booty in all the places where you may go. In other words, you're not going to have any money, Jeremiah, but you're going to live. Be content when things are bad. Be content when things are good. Don't get tied up with trying to get a big bank account for security. I'm telling you, in the midst of this coronavirus where you depended on your fancy job or you depended upon your nest egg, whoo, you talk about retirement funds being depleted with the stock market crashing like crazy as people are now predicting a Great Depression, which I hope doesn't happen, but it might. So we got to be thankful for what we have now. Don't try to pile up a bunch of money thinking that it's going to give us security, because it will not. We need to be content with what we've got, what we don't have. The Greek for content means self-sufficient, as John Gill says. Quote, to have sufficiency in oneself, which in the strict sense of the phrase is only true of God, who is El Shaddai, God all-sufficient. But in a lower sense, is true of such who are contented with their present state and condition with such things as they have, be they more or less, and think that they have enough. In other words, if you got enough where you are, quit looking at Bill Gates or somebody else and how rich these people are, these NBA players, whatever. 
They make a lot of more money, and God bless them. I'm glad they're making a bunch of money. We're content with what we've got. Paul says it is a secret. It is a secret that he has learned of being filled and going hungry. That's something that you don't really find in the world because most people are not content when they're hungry. But Paul said it's a secret, a spiritual secret of how you can be happy when you got a lot of money and thank God for it, and when you don't have it, you're happy anyway because it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, that takes some spirituality right there. That takes some applied Sermon on the Mount to get to that state. Having abundance and suffering need, both, I'm content. It doesn't matter to Paul. He's happy either way. Verse 12, he says, I know how to get along with humble means. How could Paul know how to get along with humble means? Verse 13 gives the answer. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's how he can get along with humble means is because Jesus takes care of him and strengthens him when he is lacking. I also know how to live in prosperity, and in every other circumstance I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, being both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him. That's through Christ who strengthens me. Galatians 2.20 talks about being strengthened in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, Paul says in Philippians 4.13. How does Jesus strengthen Paul? Because he is living with Christ, living in him. I no longer, I, well, he says, I, it is no longer I who live. In other words, it's not Paul who lives in his flesh by his natural desires and inclinations and strengths, but it's Christ who lives in him. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Notice Paul says, I can do all things in verse 13. Does that sound arrogant? I can do all things. But what does he do? He immediately qualifies that with through Christ. That's how I can do all things. Not through his flesh, but through Christ. An important distinction that every Christian has to learn. Paul says he can be content in prosperity or he can get along with humble means. Let's listen to how John Gill describes humble means. John Gill can really describe things. Quote, or humbled to be treated with indignity and contempt, to be trampled upon by man, to suffer hardships and distress, to be in a very mean and low condition, to work with his own hands and minister to his own and the necessities, necessities of others in that way. Yea, to be in hunger and thirst, in cold and nakedness, and have no certain dwelling place. And he knew how to behave under all this, not to be depressed and cast down, or to fret, repine, and murmur. Paul was a spiritual man. He said, imitate him as he imitates Christ. I've got no problem with wanting to imitate Paul. Philippians 4, 14 through 16, Paul continues. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my afflictions. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Paul starts verse 14 by saying, nevertheless, nevertheless, what? Well, there's a couple of options. Paul could be saying, you lacked opportunity to give, in verse 10. You lacked opportunity to give. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Even though you lacked opportunity, you still managed to find opportunity to share with me. That could be it, or he could be referring to where he says, I have sometimes suffered need. I know how to get along in prosperous circumstances, but then sometimes I have suffered need. But nevertheless... Even though I have learned to be content while I'm suffering the need, nevertheless, it's nice that you sent me the money, Philippians. 
I could have done without it, but nevertheless, it's good. I'm happy to get it. You have done well to share with me in my affliction. That word share is koinonia, one of my favorite Greek words. It means to share, to participate in, to have communion with. It means to give money, actually, share financial means, and this is what it means here, to, to share money. You've done well to give me money in my affliction. Remember, Paul is in prison. He doesn't have a way of making money. He can't make tents while he's in prison. He's in penury, poverty, and in prison with no money, and the Philippians looked after their spiritual father. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at, that at the first preaching of the gospel, that would be when Paul started the church along with Silas, on Acts 16, of the second missionary journey, he's referring back to the, his history of the Philippians. He says, at that first preaching, at that time, he after I left Macedonia. Now, Paul's itinerary in Macedonia was like this. He started out in Philippi. If you say Philippi's in Macedonia, it was at the edge of it. Then he went from Philippi to Thessalonica, and then he went from Thessalonica to Berea, and then he left Macedonia when he left Berea. So, in verse 15, when Paul says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, that would mean after he left Berea, because that was the last place he stopped in Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. When was that? That was when he went down to Corinth in Greece proper. So he was referring to his gifts to Corinth there. And then he, back, verse 16 he backs up and says, for even, meaning even while I was still in Macedonia, at Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So in these verses, 14 through 16, Philippians 4, we see that Paul gave money more than once to the Thessalonica, to Paul while he was in Thessalonica. And he also gave, and the Philippians also gave money to Paul when he was further along on the second journey when he was in Corinth. And so he's praising them for their past service. Let's see. Let's read in 2 Corinthians 11, 8-9, and we'll see how the Philippians sent presents to Paul while he was at Corinth. Paul tells the Corinthians this, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And again, wages is metaphorical. He took gifts. He, he wasn't working as a, as a salaried worker with deductions and FICA and all that. He was taking presents, gifts, even though he calls them wages. And when I was present with you and was in need, he needed money. I was not a burden to anyone, for when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my needs. So Paul told the Philippians that when he was in Corinth, he got, after he left Macedonia, he got supplied, and now he tells the Corinthians, and this is the brethren came from Macedonia. And what he means is the brethren from Philippi supplied his need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and continue to do so. Now, how Paul got that money from Philippi and while he, Paul was in Corinth, it's not clear who brought the money to Paul at Corinth. It could be Silas and Timothy who were at Berea when Paul, they, Silas and Timothy had to send Paul out to the, into, the, into the sea, maybe to travel to Corinth, maybe just to get out of trouble, out of people chasing him. But Silas and Timothy split up, and Paul went on down to Corinth, and then Silas and Timothy came down later. So maybe they brought, maybe they met people from Philippi and then brought the money from the Philippians on down to Corinth. That's the NIV study Bible's suggestion. John Gill, Jameson Fawcett, and Brown's suggestion. Paul and Silas and Timothy brought it. However, John Gill also and Jameson Fawcett and Brown also say it could have been brethren from Philippi who directly brought the money down from Philippi to Corinth on that second journey. Adam Clark said it was, it was probably brethren straight coming from Philippi. For example, Epaphroditus, who was the messenger between Paul and the, the Philippians. So whoever, however they got it, However they sent it, Paul got the money while he was in Corinth. 
All right, that was in Second Corinthians. Now let's look at the, the letter to the Thessalonians, and let's talk about Paul getting money from the Philippians while he was in Thessalonica. First Thessalonians two nine. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Now, why would Paul work without taking money from the Thessalonians? Because there were a bunch of lazy bones there who were saying, "Well, Jesus has come. We're." born again. He's going to set up his kingdom. We don't need to work. And Paul didn't want to give a bad example by not working. So he did work. So he said, hey, this is what you need to do. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm working, guys. You need to work too. He says in chapter 3 of Second Thess- Thessalonians, verses 7 through 9, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, as an example, a pattern. A model for you so that you should follow, so that you would follow our example. So Paul was able to not work in Thessalonica. He was, excuse me, he was able to not he was in a position so that he would not be forced to take offerings from the Thessalonians because the Philippians were so gracious as to give him money. And he was also able to not take money in Corinth where people were accusing him of getting rich off the gospel. And so he says, no, I'm not getting rich off the gospel. I'm not taking money from the Corinthians. Well, all of that was possible because of donations from Philippi. You know, we need to be thankful about things like that. I I remember a story at a well-known evangelical Bible college noted for its missionary efforts, and there was a conference at this Bible college, and one of these super spiritual types got up, a missionary guy, and he gets up and starts talking about how we are too interested in money. Money, 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 money is bad, 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 bad. Kind of a, kind of an antidote to the hype prosperity preachers. He was an anti-prosperity preacher. He'd gone a long way in the other direction. And after he finished his rant, a, a gentleman stood up and he said, would you look around this building here? And of course, it was a nice auditorium in a, in a Bible college. He said, guess who paid for that? People like me, businessmen like me who gave a lot of money for this. Ooh, I wish I could have been there for that. As John Anderson says, I wish I could have been there to see that. Well, Paul couldn't have been very spiritual before the Thessalonians and the Corinthians unless he had had financial support from the Philippians. So let's don't turn our noses up at rich rich Christians who give money to the gospel. We go to verses 17 through 20 at Philippians 4. Paul continues, not that I seek the gift itself. In other words, he's thanking them for giving. He's just thanked the Philippians for giving him money. But he wants to say, well, now, wait a minute. I'm thanking you for the money, but I'm not trying to get more. I'm not trying to talk about how great you are so you can send me some more money. So he says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Now, that sounds like, really, Paul, you're really more thankful for what happens to the Philippians than what happens to you when that money comes in? I believe Paul. I believe him implicitly because there is profit when you when people give. It is more blessed to give than receive. All young Christians should be taught to give so that that they can give, they can sow seeds so that they can reap a crop, so they can support their families when they're young, and so forth. And so Paul says, you're going to get a profit by giving me money. Now, does he mean profit, financial profit or spiritual profit? Or both. I would say both. But since this whole context here is talking about material goods, I think he's talking about material profit. So you give to me, God's going to give to you. 
Verse 18, but I've received everything in full and have an abundance. In other words, I'm not looking for more money. I got all I need now. I got an abundance. And not only do I have everything I need, I've got an abundance over and above what I need. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. In other words, you don't need to send me any more. I got plenty. Epaphroditus just brought it to me from you. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice of call. Paul uses that phrase, fragrant aroma. In Scripture, sacrifices are often said to smell sweet to God. Here's an example, Genesis 8:21. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma. This is Noah's sacrifice after the flood. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. Ephesians 5, 2, Paul tells the Ephesians, Walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So Paul even calls Jesus hanging on a cross a sweet aroma, a fragrant aroma, as Jesus as being sacrificed to God. Paul used Old Testament language all the time because he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. A fragrant aroma to God, even though there's some liberals are saying that God committed child's murder, child abuse, cosmic child abuse, because God... Let Jesus die on the cross. Such blasphemy will receive its appropriate reward at the appropriate time. I hope I'm not around to see it. Paul says that my God will supply all your needs. This is the favorite verse, of course, of people who are short of money, which we all are most of the time. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Now, of course, that's just applied sermon on the mount, is it not? Jesus said you don't need to worry about what you're wearing. Look at the lilies of the field there clothed very beautifully. You don't have to worry about what you eat. Look at the birds. They don't even lay up in the barns. They got everything they need right when they need it. God will supply all your needs. Now, he doesn't say God will supply all your wants. He doesn't say, well, you need a Rolex watch. I need a Lamborghini. I need a big airplane. You know, faith message, prosperity message, horse manure. That's not. This verse, of course, is used by them all the time, but let's don't overreact against that. And remember, this is in the Bible. But it doesn't say God will supply all your wants, it supply all your needs. And, of course, needs are determined by what God wants you to do. He wants you to do this, he'll supply you the means to do it. If he wants you to be a missionary to Timbuktu in northern Africa, well, he'll give you the means to get there, financial and visa and logistics and otherwise. But if he doesn't want you to be a missionary to Timbuktu and that's just where you want to go, you're not going to get supplied. According to his riches in glory, of course, that's a metaphor. God doesn't have money in glory in heaven, but he's got plenty of supply. He's got plenty of means to give you whatever you need. I'm telling you, I've been poor, and it ain't no, it's nothing fun about it. And I believe that every Christian needs to go through a period of poverty in their life, so they'll be like Paul when you, when you have nothing but financial needs, and you wonder where your next meal's coming from. It's good for you, my friends, because you learn that God is not going to let you down. He's going to give you everything that you need to get through it. Verse 20, now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Notice that Paul breaks forth in a pain of praise. Why? Because God's given him money. It's so, I mean, it might seem like a mundane thing to get money, but Paul's very spiritual about it. He praises God forever and ever because God takes care of him. It is a huge need that we have. If you're doing a ministry, you're doing a business, you've got a family, oh my gosh, you got to eat three times or at least twice a day maybe, or maybe once a day. you got to eat all the time. You need a roof over your head and so forth. We go now to Philippians 4:21 through 23. Paul says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. A saint, of course, is a holy one, a sanctified one. That's the typical word that is used to describe Christians, not sinners. He doesn't say, Greet every sinner there in Philippi in Christ Jesus. 
Oh, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And that's not the way Paul talked. He calls everybody a saint. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. Well, who are these brethren that are with Paul in Rome? Well, now, this, these are generally agreed by the commentators to be Paul's companions. I say generally, not all. Timothy, because in Philippians 2.19, Paul says, I, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Well, okay, if he's planning to send Timothy, that means Timothy needed to be with him in Rome. Epaphras is also mentioned in the prison epistle Philemon, which was also written from Rome while Paul was in prison, Epaphras. Philemon 123, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. And then Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke are also mentioned, I guess, from going through other scriptures in a, in a way that I haven't done yet. I'm just taking the commentator's common opinion on that to save me some work. So these are some brethren that could be sending greetings along with Paul. However, oh, but before I get to that, let me mention that of all the brethren that are mentioned, Peter is not mentioned. Peter is not mentioned in the letter to the Romans. Paul doesn't mention Peter uh, in his greetings. And in the letters coming from Rome in the prison epistles, which are Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, First and Second Timothy, no mention of Peter. Now, if Peter's the bishop of Rome, the pope, where is he? Why in the world does Paul not mention him? Well, I'll let all, all you Catholics out there, if by some strange chance a Catholic might be listening to this, you got a problem. Now, I ask the question, why can't it just be the brethren in Rome who are believers? You know, the Roman church, the saints that are in Caesar's household, because Paul breaks that out and says the brethren and then verse 22, all the saints. But it could be in apposition, the brethren who are all the saints in Caesar's household, especially. In other words, he could be just kind of loose about who he's talking about, not talking about individuals. The reason I say that is because of Philippians 2.20. Paul says this, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare. Well, if he has no one else, what about Epaphras? Maybe Philemon wasn't there at the time. Or maybe Epaphras wasn't there at the time when Paul was writing the Philippians, but he was there when he wrote Philemon. That's possible. What about Mark, Aristarchus, Demas? Well, of course, Demas abandoned him. What about Luke? Those aren't people of kindred spirits that he could that are concerned for the Philippians' welfare. Well, and Jameson Fawcett Brown expresses the same idea. Quote: Perhaps Jewish believers are meant when he says, "All the brethren who are with me send greetings." Perhaps Jewish believers are meant. I think Philippians 2:20, the verse I just read, "No, I have no one else of kindred spirit," precludes our thinking of closer friends, colleagues in the ministry. He has only one close friend with him, namely Timothy, and Timothy he's getting ready to send. So you see, it's controversial as to exactly who these brethren are that with Paul in Rome. We don't know for sure. But the interesting thing is, in verse 22, the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The gospel has started getting up into high places. Nero's family, perhaps. It could be Nero's guards, Nero's courtiers, Nero's servants, the officials around Nero. But it could be his blood family. John Gill says... Converts to Christianity in this family, there certainly were. Nero's family. John Gill mentions the Empress Poppea. She may have been, she was married to Nero. Empress Poppea may have been favorably inclined to Christianity as possible. For Josephus relates of her, she was a worshiper of the true God. It is not likely, therefore, that she threw any hindrances in the way of her servants who might wish to embrace the Christian faith. St. Jerome states that St. Paul had converted many in Caesar's family. That's good news, folks. 
Now, the last verse, 23, was probably written in Paul's hand. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's a standard sign-off, standard closing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul always wrote the last verse in his own hand to show that his letter was genuine. We read in 2 Thessalonians 3.17 at the end of that letter, Paul says this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter, he says. This is the way I write, in every letter. So we just assume he does that. Uh, some manuscripts have amen at the end. Some manuscripts do not have amen. Not that that's a big deal. John Gill says that Paul signed off on all his letters with amen, but whatever, doesn't matter. Now, all the manuscripts of the Philippians add a subscription to the text. For example, in the Syriac version, it has this, according to John Gill, quote, It was written to the Philippians from Rome by Epaphroditus. The epistle to the Philippians was written from Rome and sent by Epaphroditus. In other words, Epaphroditus was the amanuensis, the secretary. It was written to the Philippians by Epaphroditus, so he wrote it. And then the epistle to the Philippians was written from Rome and sent by Epaphroditus. So he was the bearer of the letter also. And that's why most people think that Epaphroditus was the secretary, the amanuensis, and he was the bearer of the letter. That's not in the original text. Of course, that's a subscription, a, a, an addition to the text that was added by somebody. But at any rate, it came from Rome, this letter. But some people actually argue that Paul was imprisoned elsewhere, not at Rome. Adam Clark mentions this. I think it was from Rome because Paul sent greetings from those who lived in Rome because he said, especially those in Caesar's household, that sounds like Rome to me. But it's interesting, I had a guy who was who had been to seminary, he was leading a Bible study group in China that we had, and he mentioned something about he thought that Paul was in prison in Caesarea. Well, we know Paul was in prison in Caesarea. He said he thought that the letter to the Philippians was written from Caesarea, and I never had heard that before, and of course it was a minor point, so I didn't bring it up, but there are some people that believe that, but I don't think so. I think he wrote it from Rome. That's the majority opinion, he says, the brethren in Caesar's household. Ladies and gentlemen, we have now finished chapter 4 of Philippians. We have finished the book of Philippians. Stay tuned for our next audio, and we will take up the book of Colossians. I hope you stay tuned for that, and I hope you enjoyed this audio. 